Hey everyone, Eric Renya here, and welcome to the 35th episode of the RIT Podcast. Alberta politics are never dull, and that's especially the case these days. On Tuesday, a by-election was held in the riding of Fort McMurray-Lac-Labiche. The winner was Brian Jean, with 64% of the vote. Jean is a former leader of the Wildrose Party and was running as a candidate of the governing United Conservative Party. He was also running as someone opposed to Premier Jason Kenney and in full support of voting him out as leader when UCP members gather in Red Deer on April 9th. The UCP needs to change. With your help, on April 9th, we'll do just that. So to discuss the fallout from the by-election and what it means for Jason Kenney's leadership, I'm joined by the CBC's politics reporter in Calgary and an old friend from the Polecast days, Elise Von Scheele. Hi. Uh, you know, you and I used to work together on the podcast a long time ago, so it, it's nice yeah. to share the same platform again. It's very nice. It was uh, before the world fell apart, so it seems like a long time ago. I had fewer gray hairs and uh, fewer wrinkles, but uh, it's always nice to see you. <laughs> yeah, well, let's not talk about gray hairs and wrinkles. I'm uh, quite a bit <laughs> older than you now. Um, so anyway, let's talk about why we're here, which is Alberta politics. So there is a lot going on uh, all the time, it seems. And this week there was a by-election. The results weren't exactly surprising, but it's nevertheless going to change things because Brian Jean, former Wild Rose Party leader, uh, he has been calling for Jason Kenney's leadership to be over. He was allowed to get that nomination to run for the UCP when he won that nomination and now has the stamp of approval from the voters of Fort McMurray, Lac Labiche for his anti-Kenney position. So what does this mean? for Jason Kenney, that now he has to deal with Brian Jean in an official capacity. Well, I think that they saw this coming. After he won the nomination, they had pretty much resigned themselves to the fact that they were going to have to come up with some kind of deal with Jean strategy rather than a takedown Jean strategy. Uh, Fort McMurray is conservative predominantly uh, and was a UCP seat before uh, Layla Goodridge resigned to go and run for the federal conservative party. So they have seen this coming. It does not mean that Kenny's team liked it anymore because they saw it coming up behind them in the rearview mirror. Uh, as you had mentioned, Gene's like, entire campaign is basically not just I don't like Jason Kenny, but Jason Kenny has to go. And if I win, I am coming back to refurbish the United Conservative Party. And part of that uh, repair will include getting rid of Kenny. So Kenny had sent out a congratulatory tweet, as is pretty standard that night, but I don't know that we will be seeing much more in terms of uh, warm greetings between the two men. Even during the campaign, they were quite feisty with each other. And Kenny, whenever asked about Gene, said, you know, I question his commitment to the movement. I question his commitment to the voters uh, and, and basically tried to say he's in it for himself rather than in it for, for the party. The interesting thing becomes though, is that Gene can't actually be sworn in until April 5th because of that appeal uh, period that you get for by-elections. The legislature is rising at the end of the month for three weeks and the leadership review is happening in between. So by the time Gene is actually a sitting MLA officially process done, uh, Jason Kenney may or may not be the leader of the party anymore. Well, that means so that, that potentially they could be sitting next to each other if someone wants to be a little bit mischievous. Could you could you imagine like Jason Kenney and Brian Jean sitting in the back bench of the legislature together? It's I'm going to look out the window for a pig with wings going by uh, if that happens, because I don't think that would be an outcome anybody would have expected a couple of years ago. Uh, Kenny could refuse to admit him to caucus, but based on the fact that he was allowed to get the nomination and has now won, 
that's unlikely. What we are more likely to see if Kenny remains leader when Gene is sworn in uh, is that they will make life completely miserable for him. And they will make an attempt to have him be the one to say, I can't deal with it anymore. I'm out. Because, you know, Gene hasn't been around prominently for the last, you know, three years or so. But he represents a lot of things that other discontent MLAs can get behind. And now the fox is in the hen house, right? Before he was at at arm's length, and now he's going to be sitting in your caucus meetings. He's going to be talking to you and your colleagues and your government. Uh, So, you know, keep your friends close, enemies closer. I don't know how close, how much closer Gene could get at this point. Well, and I mean, we're, I guess uh, we'll see what happens after the leadership review, but um, there's plenty of fallout that could happen either way, right? Whether Jason Kenney wins, what that means for people who are opposed to his leadership, would they stay within the caucus? If he loses, what that means for a leadership race and everything like that. So let's talk about the leadership review. So this is taking place on April 9th in Red Deer. Um, tell us a little bit about how this is going to work. Well, it's going to be in Red Deer, which has been kind of the famous position of other leadership reviews that also didn't go super well. Um, And it's going to be a one member, one vote system, but you have to be in the room to vote. So what we have seen is a huge, huge uh, registration number. I think the last that we were being told it was around 8,000 people. To give you an idea of how that compares at their annual general meeting in November, which had been the first one they'd had since the pandemic. So you'd think that there would be a little bit of added interest in that too. There were 1500 people. So it's going to be very, very large. The entire point of the meeting, it's only one day really, uh, is to deal with this question of the leadership review. So voting is going to take place from 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. And the event immediately preceding the vote being opened is a speech from Jason Kenney. So they will hear from the leader. uh, And I think that will be a large indication of what we can expect uh, and what Kenny is expecting is the tone that he takes in his speech. Is he humble? Is he conciliatory? Is he saying, you know, we've got some work to do, but I'm committed? Or is he bold and saying, you know, you are in trouble without me? So I will be interested to watch for that tone. Uh, And then the question on the ballot is, do you approve of the current leader? And it's a simple yes or no. Uh, If he gets 50% plus one, just a simple majority, he can stay on as leader. If he doesn't get that, he uh, is no longer the leader. A leadership race is called. And in the meantime, uh, the party board will work with caucus to select an interim leader. So the other interesting thing is that the party's constitution does not require him, if he loses the leadership review, to resign as premier. So we could have a situation where the premier of the province is not the leader of a recognized political party and the party that formed government is not sitting in caucus with the premier. So I, I feel like I need to get out like a cork board and red thread and yeah. start putting things up very like always sunny in Philadelphia, that scene where he's completely crazy because uh, it is that complicated. Like you need napkin scrawls pinned up on a cork board. <laughs> I mean, one imagines that Jason Kenney, if he loses, will resign the premiership because otherwise it would be pretty, it would be a bit of a farce kind of kind of embarrassing for him if he still somehow tried to hold on. But just the fact that he had said it's 50% plus one, um, usually in a leadership vote, 50% plus one is technically enough, but it's usually not actually enough. There's lots of cases of leaders getting in the 60s, sometimes even in the 70s and deciding that that's not high enough. 
I mean, Jason Kenney's leaving his options open for him so that if he gets 58, let's say, he can stay on. Uh, but I, you know, if he ends up with 51% or something, that's, I mean, his problems aren't going to be over. No, not at all. There, there's kind of three scenarios that could play out. One, he wins with 70 plus ish. Two, he barely squeaks by with 50 something. And three, that he loses. And each of those outcomes for different reasons are going to pose different challenges. If he wins with a large chunk of support, you've had a lot of members uh, question the sanctity of this leadership review based on irregularities that happened with Kenny's campaign for the 2017 leadership. So if he wins with a large chunk, you're going to have a certain contingent of the membership who is very likely to say uh, he rigged it. He won because he rigged it. And then an appeal could happen or you could have party members, the constituency associations, the MLAs say, we don't believe that this was legitimate. Therefore, we are doing X, Y, Z. MLAs could leave caucus. The party splits along that line. Who knows what Brian Jean would do in that kind of situation? And you will have fractures. If he just barely squeaks by, you're likely to see some of similar things. Well, he only won because he you know, he rigged it. He just, he squeaked it by. Uh, and the membership, some of them could push that. You'd have the same kind of division saying, well, this is hardly uh, a, a ringing endorsement. This is hardly the mandate that we need to go into the next election with. And you'd have that split as well. The people who said, no, he, you know, he made it. 50% plus one is in the party constitution. That is technically, and by the book, a win for Kenny. That is all he needs. Whether the membership agrees that, that that's enough, I'm not sure. And then if he loses, then you've got the question of what he does next, as well as who runs for leadership. Technically, Kenny could run in the leadership race to replace himself if he loses. And then, you know, Brian Jean has pretty much made clear that his intention is to lead the party at some capacity at some time. And you'd have those splits as well. So, I, I mean, there are things that on paper are definitely a win for Kenny. I think it's harder to see an outcome that fixes the crevices that have occurred in the party in the way that the membership is hoping for. Because this leadership review, whether they hate Kenny or whether they just want to see unity for the party, the people that I talk to, the only thing they want is they want to see this movement survive. They may not agree with everybody else in that movement, but when I talk to members and MLAs and constituency presidents, they're really concerned about the future of the party. And that's that's how they kind of get to this conclusion of whether Kenny should stay or go is they say, OK, but what does it do for the party? And, you know, the UCP came together because the New Democrats won an election when the Wildrose and PCs were separated. So there was an urgency. There was a reason behind getting together to try to unite the right to get the NDP out of power. But if the idea is that we're going to lose an election to the NDP, then you get the same sort of urgencies about, you know, what this party means and if it can go forward. Um, but, you know, as you said, like, even if he does manage to squeak by, or even if he does win a relatively decent amount, I don't think anybody's expecting he can get the 90% that is usually the, you know, the stamp of approval, that means you're fine. Um, you know, we have a long history of party leaders who just don't get enough and they have to resign because their situation becomes untenable. And, and you, you know, you mentioned Jason Kenney could run for his own leadership. Uh, Joe Clark, you know, did that when he lost a leadership vote. Well, he didn't lose it. He only got, I think, 67 or something like that. 
And he uh, ran again to be leader of the PCs. He lost at the Brian Mulroney. So you could have the same kind of thing happen here where Jason Kenney says, um, you know, maybe I lost this, this particular thing, but I can run and I can win this leadership. But one thing that I, you know, I don't know if you know the answer to this, so I'm putting you a bit on the spot, but if it's eight, nine, 10,000 people, how do they organize that? <laughs> will, who, will, will there be enough people to be able to fit into the room to hear Jason Kenney's speech? And can they get that many people to vote in one location over a six hour period? It just seems mind boggling that this many people are getting involved in a leadership review vote that you have to show up in person. You got to plunk down a hundred bucks and you got to drive out to Red Deer uh, where, you know, most Albertans don't live in Red Deer. So it, it's just mind boggling that this is a political event that's happening. Um, and it all has to happen in just one day. Yeah, the logistics are uh, are a challenge. And I'm, I'm actually talking to the party later and we'll be saying, how are we going to work the logistics of this? I'm not even sure it's even within fire code to have that many people in the room. They were expecting... 3000, I think, uh, based on like COVID rules and, and things like that, when they had first, uh, set out to have this, <clears throat> this meeting. So we'll see, I will be shocked if everything happens in six hours, if all the votes get counted, uh, yeah. and, because and there'll be long lines. And I suppose that that too, it would be also a test of people's, um, people's, you know, enthusiasm and drive for this vote. Yeah. And I mean, like even leadership reviews in a non-COVID time rarely happen on schedule, like political events just run on perpetual, like two hours behind. So I, I wouldn't have had high hopes anyways. But when you talk about that, the, the resoluteness of the people voting, there are those kind of three questions when you look at what the outcome could be. How angry are people? You know, we've seen on social media, we've seen protests, people are angry, but how angry are they? Are they angry enough to spend the money? Are they angry enough to work out the logistics to go? Uh, how, who's going to show up? Is Kenny's camp going to be successful in mobilizing enough supporters to get there? Or are these kind of grassroots little pop-up uh, organizations going to be able to mobilize? And then how efficient and organized are each is each camp going to be? Because for the last year, we've seen threats of overthrowing Kenny from caucus. We've seen the constituency associations put forward a motion to the party board calling for an earlier leadership review. So we have seen mobilization of that anger. What we have seen less of is the ability to be efficient with it. So caucus would go into a caucus meeting with the determination to go at least a chunk of them, 15 to 20% of caucus, that they would go in and, and demand that Kenny resign. And then when they get into the room and Kenny starts scolding people for speaking up or things like that, you know, that movement doesn't happen or the constituency associations put forward this motion, but the wording isn't right. The wording leaves enough loopholes for the party to say, sorry, it's not binding. So they've encountered a lot of organizational problems, this anti-Kenny movement over the last year. And so a lot of the leadership review from what we've been hearing will hinge on who is able to have the most cohesive organization to, to get people there. And the outreach work from both sides has been crazy. Like the, the amount that we're hearing from both sides and, you know, talking to people in the premier's office and minister's offices, they're saying to me, they've, they have not seen anything on this scale on a provincial level in forever. The motivation on both sides is definitely there. The, um, 
the anti-Kenny camp has been organizing meetings all over the province for the last three months. They've had 200, I think, is what Take Back Alberta, which is this grassroots organization said, where they're getting people there and they're saying, okay, what do you need to get to Red Deer? Do you need a spot on a bus? Do you need your membership fee reimbursed? Do you need X, Y, Z? And as far as the Kenny camp goes, actually this week, there was an email that was sent out from a chief of staff in the government organizing an Excel sheet to sign up to do calls. So they're getting government staff. We got sent the Excel sheet and can open it. Um, so we were able to see like all of the staff who are being told that it is critical that they sign up for the next three days to work the phones and get people out to Red Deer, including, you know, high level government staff who are going to be spending two full days this week doing nothing but making calls uh, to get Kenny supporters out to Red Deer. It's the difference between, I suppose, you know, having a party apparatus, having government apparatus that can be officially put, not officially, but can be put into action here um, versus, as you said, these disparate groups. And so that brings me to Brian Jean. Is he the leader of this anti-Kenny movement or is he kind of riding this wave? Does it have a leader? If you took the group of people who are upset with the premier and put them all in a room together, I'm not sure that they would have too much more to agree on in a lot of cases. So if you look at the, at the people who want Kenny gone, there are a number of reasons across a wide swath of the conservative spectrum. Uh, people are upset with COVID restrictions and vaccine mandates. That's one group. Another group is upset because of flip-flopping on policy, for example, the uh, coal mining in the Rocky Mountains. People thought, you know, doing something and then reversing it doesn't inspire confidence in a leader. And then there's another group that are upset about the apparent hypocrisy at times from members of the government. For example, when they brought in COVID restrictions over the summer, towards the end of the summer, and then a photo was leaked of Kenny and his ministers sitting out and having dinner and drinks on the rooftop patio of a, a government office with a, a lot of controversy associated with it. So, you know, a lot of other people talk about this different rules for thee than for me. Uh, and so it, it's, it's hard to identify a leader because their reasoning for being upset with the premier varies so much based on what we've been told. So it's not just Wild Rose versus PC. No, there is a, a larger contingent in the people that we've talked to who would, would probably lean Wild Rose. I wouldn't say that Gene is the catalyst for all of this. I would say that he saw an opportunity and a moment that fit with what his ideology is and what his uh, intentions and ambitions were. And the other thing about Brian Gene is people remember him. Conservatism has deep roots in this province. And so people remember when he was leader of the Wild Rose. They remember the party merger. Uh, they remember him from when he was an MP. And so he has some status already where people say, okay, look, we've had we've struggled to organize so far. Is this an opportunity where we can say, okay, he he might not be, you know, the Moses leading us to the promised land, but can we at least figure out a way? that he somehow helps us unite as you go down kind of the, the chart as, as to discontentness. Um, so I, he's made no secret he wants to be leader. I'm not sure who else would run for leader at this point if Kenny uh, couldn't continue on. So then, you know, the membership 
will have another question to ask. And a lot of them are already asking it of themselves, which is does getting rid of Kenny deal with the underlying problems that we have? Or is the next leader just going to be a Band-Aid and we're still going to have these issues with, if you'll indulge my baking analogy, I always think of it like, like dough. You know, when you cut dough into segments and you stick it all back in the same bowl, it attaches itself together, but you can still see where you cut the dough. And it takes a lot of massaging to get those separations of the bread <laughs> to go away. And so the question then becomes, does this leadership review do an adequate job of massaging that dough back together? Or is there like, do you need to stick it back in the KitchenAid mixer after the leadership review? I like that analogy. I've never heard that before. <laughs> you know, we're always talking about sports analogies or military analogies. There should be more I can come up analogies. with those too. I can do those too. But uh, I was making bread yesterday and I was like, oh, light bulb. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. I like that. Well, we'll see if Jason Kenny's cooked uh, on April 9th. But, um, <laughs> well played. So if this is about whether the UCP can win the next election and stay in power and keep the NDP or you know the socialist hordes, as, as uh, some in the party would call it, um, how does the NDP look at all of this? First of all, this by-election result. Now, it's a very weird by-election to assess because there wasn't a single candidate who was pro-Kenny on the ballot. Everybody was uh, anti-Kenny, including the government candidate, which was Brian Jean. Uh, so the NDP only got about 18% of the vote, which is not as good as what they did in the last election, which they didn't win. Um, so do they look at that result and think it was a one-off or should they be concerned that they only got 18%? I think if the circumstances were different, you might have them looking at how they could have done better. Uh, if it was a Calgary riding, you would probably have them saying, okay, we need to do some reevaluation here because it was Gene, because it was a conservative held riding because of the general tenor of politics in the province these days. I don't think that they were expecting to give Gene a run for his money. Yeah. If it had been Calgary, it, it would have been a different story, but if you're the NDP and you're, you're looking at what is going on. As far as from what the conversations I have, it's an opportunity because two opportunities. If Kenny stays, they know how to campaign against Kenny. That's what they did in 2019. They made it personal. It was, here's this guy. Do you like him? Do you want him to be premier? If he's gone, the party will, will fracture as it does after turmoil from leadership reviews. Uh, the potential for vote splitting between a further right party like the Wild Rose Independence Party and the UCP or whatever faction of the UCP might break off afterwards. Uh, the vote split is a good opportunity in closer ridings or in rural ridings where, you know, you weren't you weren't maybe coming up a too distant third, but the others were or a too distant second, but the others were were competitive as well. So. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that the NDP is looking at, at this as a lose-lose situation for them. It's just a matter of how they're going to have to adjust their strategy afterwards. Because, you know, the, the NDP has been out fundraising the UCP. Um, we've seen polls. There was a word of a poll this week that had the UCP back ahead of the NDP, but most of the polls have had the NDP well ahead, um, way ahead in Edmonton, leading in Calgary, competitive enough in the rest of the province that maybe they're winning Lethbridge and Medicine Hat and other places like that. Um, so for the NDP, I know you kind of mentioned it there that you know they have paths either way, but would they prefer to run against Jason Kenney or Brian Jean? Because Jason Kenney is unpopular and the NDP has been able to successfully 
beat the UCP, at least in polls and fundraising uh, with Jason Kenney as leader. Um, and Rachel Notley did beat Brian Jean back in 2015. But do they kind of want Jason Kenney to just hang on and it just kind of keeps falling apart and, and it's turmoil within the party rather than a clean break on, on April 9th? Polling wise, I think that's the more obvious path. Uh, if you look at the premier's approval ratings right now, like he was sitting around 20% for most of the pandemic. There was an Angus Reid poll from January that had him boosted back up to about 26%, but that's down from 61% two months after they were elected. It is, it's a significant fall and they've already run a campaign against him. So they would be able to recycle some of the ideas that they found that worked. Like I remember when I was here for the provincial uh, election in 2019, back when I was working in Ottawa, but we were out here. All of the NDP campaign signs and candidate signs had some mention of Rachel Notley on them. Her face, her name, Team Notley, something like that. I can't remember seeing one UCP sign that had Jason Kenney's name or face on it. So the, the branding opportunities there are a lot of leftovers from, from 2019. But the other problem that the NDP uh, has had is that a lot of the political oxygen is getting sucked up by COVID or UCP unpopularity or anything else. And this is the, the internal struggle in opposition, right, is how do, you, how do you set the agenda for the day? In terms of campaigning against Gene, yeah, I'm not sure. The, the other interesting thing that we've seen come up from Kenny in the last couple of weeks is when there is conversation about the leadership review and conversation about the future of the party. He has started to position himself as the conservative moderate. And anybody who has watched Jason Kenney's political career knows pretty well where he falls on the spectrum. It, it, it's, it's right. <laughs> and right towards, you know, the, the edge of, uh, of a lot of other conservative parties in the province. So for him to come out and say this, if you think that politics in Alberta has been too extreme, if you are upset with the tone of politics, I am the moderate option. And the people who want to get rid of me are the extreme option. These are the COVID deniers. These are the vaccine haters. Uh, so if you, and, and you know, we're not going to win with those people. If you want to win next year, I'm the option because everybody else is crazy is kind of like the, the tone that has come out of the last couple of weeks. So I think it's very interesting to see the, the difference in the positioning and, and including him, you know, saying Brian Jean is part of that movement. I mean, from my memory of 2015, uh, Brian Jean, uh, I did not find Brian Jean a particularly compelling campaigner, but he has become pretty well liked in, in Alberta polls when he was still a leader. He scored well on approval ratings. He a lot of he had a lot of sympathy. He had lost his home in the Fort McMurray fire. So like there, there is that personal attachment. So you can imagine that while the NDP might be able to cast Brian Jean as a wild roser and and you know uh, from the far right, there might be a lot of people who would have a lot of sympathy for him. So we'd see how that could play out for the NDP. Um, and I'll finish on this and again, I, you know, I'm not sure if you'll have an answer for me, but there has been some people uh, speculating about the possibility that one way out for Jason Kenney here would be to pull the plug and call an early election. Now, the election is only scheduled for next spring in 2023. How serious are people taking that speculation? Is that an actual possibility? It's always a possibility. <laughs> um, 
there was some rumbling of it last year. Caucus had said that it, at some point he had made some threat about calling a snap election. A, a lot of people close to Kenny said, nah, it wasn't exactly what he was saying, but it has kind of hung in the back of people's minds since then. And technically, if I go back to my crazy conspiracy theory, uh, red yarn chart, it's it's an option. Uh, Kenny has said that it's it's not on his mind. It's not an option he's looking at right now. Uh, and it, you know, if if you're weighing that, a lot of the calculation would also be kind of what the federal government had to consider during the election last year, which is what is the appetite that people have for an election, and for the UCP, if people are upset, is that voter suppression or is it voter motivation? Because if you call a snap election and people are like to hell with you uh, and the NDP is able to mobilize, it could end up way worse than the position that the government was in before, or it could end up in a stronger position if they see an opportunity here to sure up what they have. So I I hope to God that we don't have a snap election for completely personal reasons. <laughs> too many elections in uh, in too short a, a period. It is a possibility, but I think from every indication we've had from the party, they're going to try to settle this internally before they make it an issue that the voters broadly have to worry about. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I'm always pro-election, so sorry uh, uh, to ruin your personal plans. But I suppose if you know if the leadership goes in a very divisive way and you have a whole swath of the caucus walking away, then you get into an actual place where there has to be an election if there's a vote of confidence and that kind of thing. So um, to put it mildly, things could things are going to still be interesting after April 9th. So there's lots going on between then and April 9th. And then afterwards, the story is not over. No, the story is beginning. All of this leading up to this point has been the prologue. Chapter one starts on April 9th, and we're going to get a whole novel in the year before the next election or shorter. Well, I'm looking forward to reading that novel. <laughs> so Elise, thanks so much for, for coming on. It's really great to chat with you again and, uh, uh, you know, get some sleep. It's going to be a busy few weeks. <laughs> thanks for having me in Send Tylenol. <laughs> Thanks again to Elise Von Schiel for that discussion. There's another by-election taking place next week in the Manitoba riding of Fort White. This is being held to fill the vacancy that followed former Premier Brian Pallister's resignation. That vote is taking place on Tuesday. Okay, that'll be it for the RIT podcast. If you haven't already, you should check out my YouTube channel. I posted a couple of videos about the conservative leadership race over the last little while. You can subscribe to the channel to get notified of new videos being posted in the future. You can also watch these podcast interviews. And of course, check out the website, therid.ca, for all the latest news and analysis. Okay, that's it for this week. Keep safe and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.